Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. I was just saying, one, one of these two movies really took it out of me this week. Really? That was everybody's New Year's. Boring. I had, uh, I had concert tickets, and then uh, that concert got canceled due to COVID. Mm-hmm. So then, like, me and the guy that I was going to go to the concert with, we were like, well, there's a there's a hockey game on that night that we want to watch. So we'll just get some steaks, do a barbecue, watch the game. It'll be fine. They canceled the game due to COVID. <laughs> You're like, we're like, that's fine. Let's go get some steaks. Steaks canceled due to COVID. <laughs> um, woke, up, woke up the next day and found out the opening of schools was delayed due to COVID. Found out a couple hours ago that the when the schools do open, it'll be online only due to COVID. Good Lord. 2022 shaping up great so far. Hey, here they're just pretending like it's over. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm not even back to work from my Christmas vacation yet. I had to like log into my work email and send an email to my boss being like, you know that first day back? I won't be back. <laughs> I just <laughs> I, I just had to go back today and I, and I had COVID. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, we haven't had too many things around here so far. And I think it's because when we did lockdown last time, everybody threw a giant fit. Yeah, I know. So I think we're all just going to die this time. And they're going to be fine with it. Uh, you're breaking up entirely, Brian. I have no idea what you're saying. Good. I thought I thought he sounded all right. Oh, maybe it was Doug then. You guys can hear each other fine? Yeah. yeah do we sound bad Are to you? both just... Pers- well, you're breaking up quite a bit. Mm, it's got to be on your end. You might want to yeah. hop off, hop back on. So everybody sounds fine yeah, online. I'm going to try that. All right, hang on a sec here. Now that Doug's gone, let's break out the coke and hookers. Woo! <laughs> well, I heard that pretty clearly, ironically. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was going to say no hookers because of COVID. <laughs> no, yeah. Hookers, hookers are canceled. COVID. Yep. The funny uh, part was when I logged off the call, it. Uh, I got that pop-up asking me to rate the call, and I'm like, "Well, you guys don't want to know, do you?" <laughs> you can you can still do the cocaine, but you have to use a sterile straw between each bump. <laughs> yeah. Well, the straw acts also as a COVID test, so you just stick it up your nose, you're good. You gotta swirl it five times in each nostril. I have not had to take one yet, ever. It is unpleasant. It imagine it stays that way. Imagine scraping your brain with a Q-tip. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to. No, my kid has had to be tested like I think four times now. 
Oof. And every time they're like, just, do you just want to get tested while you're here? And I'm like, nah, I'll, I'll avoid going through this myself. <laughs> if the kid comes back positive, I'll be back to get my own test. But yeah, at least, at least this fun. round of COVID wasn't so bad. That's good. Next time you get it, you'll barely notice. Yeah. Well, hopefully by then I'll have my booster. It'll be. That's fun. You don't have yours yet. Even less COVIDy. Yeah, I just like I haven't had a chance to schedule it due to like the honeymoon and all that kind of stuff, and I've just been real busy. Mm-hmm. All the COVID activities you were going to. Yeah, yeah. That's that's I was me busy getting COVID. I had no time to get prevent COVID. <laughs> hard, you know me. Hard party and Noah going out to all them bars. So much bars is a floating COVID city on the ocean. Dude, that was so much safer than it is here. It's the one thing he did without getting COVID. Oh, much. If if everyone if everyone here had to wear a bracelet showing you were vaccinated and scan a card every time you went in or out of a building to to trace your fucking plague bringing ass, I would be so happy. Yeah. Yeah, I heard up in Chicago they're gonna start requiring people to show proof of vaccination in certain places. It didn't help us. Yeah, but it makes me happy because then anti-vaxxers are going to throw a fit. So that makes me smile. It is fun to watch them get upset. I think think Canada's biggest weakness whenever it came to COVID is sharing a border with us. That's why they cut that off. Well, that's a big part of the problem. Yeah. My my favorites like New Zealand. New Zealand, they're like, oh my god, three cases, we failed. You know, <laughs> like, they are. Every time one person coughs in New Zealand, the whole country just shuts down. They all go inside, have tea, stare at the window at their sheep for a few days, and then they're fine. Wish I could do that. You don't want to be around that many sheep. Probably not. But I watched a stand up not too long ago. I don't think it was Jim Gaffigan. It was one of the other ones, but they were talking about it. And they basically said New Zealand was saved because their prime minister basically mommed everybody. She just came out and she's like, listen, we're all going to go inside. We're all going to wash our hands. Yeah, they was trying to kidnap her and execute her in uh, the United States. That's what they tried to do to one of our governors. Stop. Stop depressing me. You know what? It would just be a lot better if somebody had an army of rats to kill a bunch of anti-vaxxers. That's, well, I don't know about kill anti-vaxxers. Kill anti-vaxxers! <laughs> Ter- terrorize them, maybe, with a plague of rats. But No, kill anti-vaxxers! Right. right. You're putting too much effort into something that'll take care of itself. It's so really extreme. <laughs> just, just wait a while. Be patient. No, It'll... I, like, I like to imagine... And well, I don't like to imagine. I just do imagine that they're like drunk drivers. You know, every time there's a drunk driving accident, the drunk asshole survives. And and it's the innocent person that they hit that dies. As we saw in the yeah. perfect series uh, Midnight Mass. Yes. And and I feel like I feel like this is going to go the <laughs> well same way. Time. They're just going to keep breeding variants until every sane person is dead. And then it's just going to be planet of the fucking apes. Well, honestly, we're probably better off with apes in charge. Um, well, since I tried yeah, to do a segue and yeah. nobody really took to it. Uh, <laughs> hey, Doug, do you want to talk about Willard? <laughs> 
I guess. <laughs> Don't sound so happy. So, do we need a plot description of the movie, Willard? Is that what's going to happen next? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. All right. So, there's <laughs> this guy, and everyone's mean to him, except the rats. The rats are nice to him. So, he makes friends with all the rats. But then this one kind of evil rat shows up and starts helping the rats misbehave. So together they kill the guy's boss. And then uh, later they uh, the rats are like, Willard feels they're out of control, but he forgot to account for the fact that the head rat named Ben can read now. So <laughs> when Ben reads the box and realizes that it's poison, he instead alerts the other rats to take out Willard. That's the whole plot of the movie. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> there's really not a lot that happens. It's more just watching Willard get picked on a lot than watching him get very small amounts of revenge. Gradually, uh, they become bigger levels of revenge. So eventually he just has to throw an Oscar nominated, has some rats throw an Oscar nominated actor out a window. Because somehow in the 70s, shit like that could happen. You could win an Oscar and then turn around and get killed by rats in a low-budget B-movie. Yeah. You forgot to mention that his boss was evil and was trying to steal his house so he could build apartments. Yes. Which is why... Yeah, so the... Yeah, the the B-plot is that his boss is literally trying to buy his house to build apartments. Keeps trying to pressure him to sell it. After his mom dies, figures that's his opportunity, but Willard... Um, well, he uses the rats to like steal money. That's one of the things he does so that he could stay in the house. Um, and then the boss has the brilliant plan, which is actually a good plan if you're an evil monster, which is fire the guy so that he'll be in financial distress so that he'll sell you his house so you can make your apartments and he'll be, I don't know what'll happen to Willard. It's not relevant to this boss's plan. And that's when Willard snaps and has him, uh, has him killed by the army of rats. Yeah. I do. So this movie's boring. We should probably say that up front. Like, uh, I will. Get, I will you, counter with it's a '70s movie, and they don't really do anything till about the last 15 minutes. Yeah, per '70s movies. I, and I will counter that I found it uh, pleasant and enjoyable to watch, and therefore was not bored. As Admittedly, I, not not a lot happens, but it's also like 90 minutes. And there's a bunch of just rats walking around and this weirdo talking to him. Yeah. I mean, it does have some, it's got some interesting ideas to it. Um, kind of like there, there's the whole cycle of abuse element mm-hmm. where Willard's yeah. kind of this beat up character and you're kind of supposed to feel sorry for him. But if you pay attention to the dynamics of, how he treats Ben the rat. He's kind of a piece of shit to him for no reason, for absolutely no reason. He just ha- picks out his favorite and he likes that one and fuck Ben, who in the movie, it's kind of insinuated that Ben the rat is the smart rat that's kind of teaching all the other rats to do all these cool things. To be fair, yes, Ben Ben picked out a rat for Willard to choose as his favorite rat. <laughs> he basically was like, here, here's your own rat. No, Willard, no, Ben, ben doesn't. Ben doesn't show up till after that. Ben shows up in the basement. Yeah, 
after after he has Socrates. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's because he's in the house with just Socrates and Ben gets in and he's like, how the hell did you get in here? Who the hell are you? I'll call you Ben. Mm, see, I took that but, one as Ben. I, I'd like you. I took that one as Ben that he was the one that he was communicating with, gave him Socrates and then all the other rats stayed in the basement. Maybe. That's how I saw it anyway. I'd like to go back to Noah's point, though. Why Why was? Why do you think Willard was being a piece of shit to Ben? Like, he let Ben come upstairs after Ben kind of pushed him and stuff. He treats him like a pet, granted, which, I mean, that's... Well... It is but, an animal-human relationship. But he he begrudgingly let Ben come upstairs. Like, Ben got upstairs after he told him to, like, fuck off and stay in the basement because only special little Socrates. The, once again, I'm a little suspicious about the racial connotations that the white <laughs> rat is allowed in the house and is treated well. <laughs> I don't, think that, I don't I, think that was intentional. I think the idea is that the albino rat is cuter. But yeah, nothing, yeah, I, I think the goal I there read. is... Nothing I read pointed out any sort of hidden themes or anything, but I, I do. No, no, I do agree with you. <laughs> I, th- I think it, I, I can see once you pointed it out, I understand what you're saying. The white rat is the only one that gets a special treatment, but I just took it as they wanted the rat that was his favorite to stand out from the crowd. Right. So right. they made I agree. a different yeah. color. That's all. <laughs> they just get, it's just it's and in, in rat populations, I believe having a white one is more rare than having the the gray and the black varieties that are pretty common. So I think that that is correct from a biological standpoint, that that would be a rare rat. And that, yeah, the, you know. that rat would probably be shunned from the rest of the rats because he was different. But yeah, I mean, he th- throughout the movie, he kind of, he verbally abuses Ben. He, in a not so subtle way, kind of blames Ben for the death of Socrates, for Ben occasionally making a noise while in a closet, you know, doing rat things because he's a rat. It's like, hey, man, maybe don't take your pet rats to work with you. Right. And then he he tells Ben, he's like, there's nothing I could have done. And I'm like, bullshit. Yeah, you could have not brought your rats to work. We could have not brought him to work, but even in that instance, you could have just grabbed like a box or something and be like, I'll take care of it, fellow employees, and then gone off and be like, jump in the box, Whoa. just get the box. And he's like, I'm going to take them outside to dispose of them and then just put the box in his car. <laughs> I don't understand why he just stood there and did absolutely uh, nothing. Th- thematically in in the movie, in the context of the movie, the idea here is that Willard is basically helpless in the world. Like he has no power over anyone or anything. And that's when he starts to make friends with these rats. That's the first time he's ever felt this kind of control, this sense of having the ability to stand up for himself. So it makes sense that he is too ashamed or embarrassed to acknowledge that those are his rats and to do anything in the circumstances. He's too weak of an individual because he's been beaten down throughout his entire life. That's how I took it. And it is just like, yeah, he, I think Willard is devastated when Socrates is killed, but he also just doesn't have the power after a life of being shamed to acknowledge, no, no, I'm a super fucking, I'm weirder than you guys think. I actually have a giant army of rats that live in my basement that I brought into my house voluntarily because <laughs> I'm that guy who brought hundreds and thousands of rats into his house voluntarily. And, uh, you know, 
Well, he, I get- he just he can't do that. He's not able to do that. Even if to you or I, the I mean, the obvious solution would be don't bring your rats to work. But the mm. even after your if your pet is about to be killed, you would step in and say, "No, that's my pet." Yeah, I, and protect it. But yeah, he can't. And I, and I also get the idea that he he kind of views the horde of rats as a burden. Mm-hmm. Which, which once again, in the in the eyes of Willard, is a horrible negative because that's what he's basically been saddled with his whole life is all of these burdens of having to care for his mother and the house and 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 yeah. all that kind of stuff. But there's still moments of this movie where you kind of man, you lose faith in Willard real fast. Whenever he drowns those rats after oh they help him God. kill his boss, you're like yeah. so angry. And I and I get I get in the movie why that's done because once again it's the the whole cycle of abuse he does the exact same thing that that guy did he he used them and then he disposed of them whenever they weren't useful to him anymore yeah i agree with that that was a a bummer scene to watch yeah it was it was very difficult to watch him murder those rats which is a weird thing to say because you're just like he's got cages of rats and he's drowning them to get rid of them and it's like yeah you kill rats on your property that's what you do drowning maybe isn't the nicest way but (laughs) you do got to do something to get rid of rats on your property then you're like oh yeah but he brought them there and fed them well yeah and they they trust him that's that's the worst thing exactly they got in that cage voluntarily yeah but uh what was, I, what was I getting ready to say about it? It was something else. It's gone now. Gone into the ether. But yeah. Oh, oh, oh I was going to say, and because it's a 70s movie, we have to slightly worry that there were real rats in those cages. <laughs> I know, right? Well, yeah. There's, in both of the movies that we're going to discuss, there's some stuff done with rats that would not be legal today that might have been legal in the 70s. There's definitely at some points just a, just a, a quote-unquote animal trainer just standing slightly off camera throwing, throwing rats, rats at somebody as yeah. per, <laughs> Ernest Borgnine not at somebody at an Oscar winner <laughs> just uh, just hawking rats at him <laughs> it's yeah it, and then in a kind of Poe-esque story way we wrap up with Ben the Rat uh, coming back and almost even offering a chance to make peace with Willard that's the way I interpreted it anyway, because he didn't immediately go after him or anything. He doesn't go after him until Willard tries to kill a bunch more of the rats. Yeah. It's and when he they, sees the box and then the of rats revolt. And that is. Yeah. And I mean, there's. Getting into the themes of the movie, I think there's a, your cycle abuse one is definitely accurate, but there's also the getting in over your head type theme of just, okay, I built this army and now I've lost control of it. And I think we see that gradually, like, you know, Willard starts, it's fun to have a few rats in the house, but you can't have a few rats. That's not how rats work. If you have like more than one rat, all of a sudden you have a thousand rats. That's just how they are. Um, So the idea that he just gradually, like these things became a burden on him when they started out as something fun and then when he made them into something useful, they just continued to become more and more of a burden until they were completely overwhelming. And at the end, obviously, completely destroyed him. Yeah. Yeah, it's also kind of, as uh, is, is opposed to a lot of horror movies that we watch that are Lovecraft-inspired, I would say this one's more like a Poe story, where a man's kind yeah, of 
destroyed Mm -hmm. by his his own self indulgence or self view yeah Yeah, no i I agree with that thematically it's it feels very poe like it's um to which i can't the idea that he does this to himself and that it's not some outside force driving this you know nobody made him start training an army of rats that would turn on him (laughs) well well the funny thing is it's, it's not even the training the army of rats that ends up being the issue it's it's turning on your own rats once the <laughs> it's so strange yeah. it's it's almost it's the one thing i don't like in the movie because i feel like that moment is unjustified it seems like such a turn in willard's personality to go from i love these rats and socrates is my best friend to socrates is dead and now i will murder my boss and all these goddamn rats well i feel like it, the movie did play up that the rats being more and more of a burden was becoming an increasing problem. And I think the idea was supposed to be that after the murder of the boss, like now, if the boss's body is found covered in rats and the recently fired employee is found with thousands of rats that he's trained, he knows he's going to be caught. So he's now in full panic mode, right? No police would ever believe that there's an army of trained rats. <laughs> Listen, we're not talking period, about ben. period. We're still, period. <laughs> we're, we're still talking about Willard. Calm down. Don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I ended up enjoying the movie, but I do agree that for the first like forty five minutes, I was sitting there like, man, not really doing a whole lot, huh? Guy has an army of no, rats. But it's, it's, He's not really gonna. Do any uh, crimes or anything? Just... Well, and this is this is one of those movies that I I know like picking at genre and stuff annoys some people, but how do you call this film a horror movie? It's not a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Science fiction, maybe. Like, I don't know, fantasy a, drama. I don't know. Somewhere this is in why there. it's not. A good idea. This is why it's not a good idea to waste your time and energy trying to narrow down what genre things fit into because. <laughs> you know, stress yourself out and the answer is it it fits into several genres it you know because society likes to simplify things they're going to tuck anything with killer rats into it into horror generally speaking but like i enjoyed watching this movie i thought those yes like the first 45 minutes i'm not much happens but i thought it was kind of fun to watch willard like go to work get yelled at a lot and be all sad mm-hmm. like the performance is fun from that actor um, I feel like it's set you know, up it's a, a really little, good yeah. relationship between him and the rats. Like we got to see them just be yeah. friends for a good, like 50 minutes before, you know, yeah. people get killed by piles of rats on top of yeah. them. Yeah. In which I feel like they do. The original does a better job of that than the remake, which I have never seen. I was actually going to bring that up. The Crispin Glover one. Yeah. Oh, it's not bad. Well, this is the first time I've seen this one too. So, I mean, I haven't, really seen any of them i saw the crispin glover one when it was new but mm-hmm. i haven't seen it since so i don't want to comment on it it's not the one I thing mean, I, it's so listen it's a crispin glover horror movie mm-hmm. so manage expectations is it i mean but is it definitely like a horror movie that's what i was yes. wondering see that's okay. that's what i was gonna say the big difference is that one manages to like be a horror movie it manages to set that my biggest complaint about this movie as a 
a quote fingers horror movie is that there's no attempt to set any type of tone in this film. It's damn near a comedy for the first three quarters. Mm. But that's, but that is what they're doing, right? Because the whole movie is about escalation. It starts with him like this loser. He's just making friends with the rats. Eventually he's using the rats to steal. He's using the rats to screw up his boss's party because he didn't get invited. Right. And it, it escalates to him then using the rats to actually kill is that the movie starts out lighthearted and fun. And we're supposed to kind of feel bad for this character. And then we see him playing with his rats and we're happy for him because he's finally got some friends and then he starts to get worse and worse. And we see how this sort of it's sort of the power corrupting him. He's got this power over these rats. And at first he's just using it to make him do tricks. But eventually he's using it for other meaner things. And when he finally gets to the end of the movie, now he's the bad guy. And we get to watch him be punished by the very rats right. that he was misusing. Hmm. So in, in that sense, that it, the tone they're setting is meant to be lighthearted in the beginning because we're meant to be enjoying ourselves. We're meant to be kind of frolicking and watching him play. And I think it works on that level. Like I was enjoying watching him play with the rats, but I do think it, it is horrific at the end. The final when the rats finally do kill people. Those are pretty good kills for 70s low budget horror. Right. <laughs> because yeah, I would say that they just need rats to, at actors. It just needs work on. There's like, I, I just feel like the build's not right. It, it feels like the movie shifts gears in a really weird way. It'd be like watching Revenge of the Nerds and they go on the panty raid and then Lewis beheads and murders 12 co eds. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean like, to that's, be fair. That, to be fair, I would watch that. <laughs> it would be, yeah. yeah, it would be great. We probably but, have watched but totally, it would be confusing. Expression. I don't know. I again, I I don't think it's as hard a turn as what you're implying. That's not my opinion because I think it is a gradual darkening of the character. Um, and again, it it does definitely take when the when the actual kill happens, when Willard walks into that office and like calls the army of rats in and he's actually like gesturing and all these rats are following him in that's definitely a dark turn for that character but that is that is 70s filmmaking as well you can literally watch any movie and it goes from the the end tends to be a hard turn into the darkness any 70s horror film they're all like that hmm. uh, anything else about Wheeler? i mean it's it's i would I would call it a solid B minus. That's not bad. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not a bad movie. It's just not a fucking great movie of, of the, of all the killer rat movies we've reviewed on this show. I was a little disappointed that none of these rats were just a dog in a costume. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I know, I know we came in hard on rats and maybe we, we blew our load on the best rat movie at the beginning. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. I think I'm more positive on this movie than you are. I think it's like, I would describe it as like a really fun, like Sunday afternoon movie. Like if this came on a and E in the middle of the afternoon, when you're watching cable, I think, and you sat and watched, I think you'd have a great time. It's not, it's an easy watch. It's relatively lighthearted throughout most of it. And then the rats are kind of cute at certain points. And then they're good at killing people towards the end, which I'm in favor of. 
I would call this child-friendly horror. You could probably show this to most children over the age of eight. Mm. That, oh, the agree. rat drowning scene's a little intense for a child, but besides yeah. that. But I think like the fact that the guy gets killed right after trying to drown the rats, I think makes me feel like yeah, kids would be like, yeah, no, I agree. Like probably eight or nine years old, you show this to a kid. Yeah. I uh, I read that Ernest Borgnine was actually afraid of rats and had to get over it before. Really? Making this movie. Well, that's, yeah. that's reasonable and rational. I'm kind of surprised how many people are willing to work with rats in these two movies. We <laughs> talk. People just handling rats all the time. But I'm like, I don't know, man. You tell me a rat. I know, I know some people that have pet rats and they really are like domesticated rats that are handled mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Are, are super sweet, nice little animals. Oh yeah, this made me be like, oh, I would, I would enjoy having rats around. Yeah, but the not really. Pro- the only problem about- is they, they, uh, their tears are blood, which is oh, creepy. Mm-hmm. So good. And you know, a rat only lives to be like three. Yeah. So you're constantly yeah. watching your pet die, which is super depressing. Plus, if you got two of them, all of a sudden you'd have 650 within a week. So, <laughs> Yeah, but after after three years, most of those are dead. And you have 5,000. And then after three years, most of those are dead. I think you are underestimating the rate at which rats multiply. You'd have a lot more than 5,000 in three years. In three years, that wouldn't be your house anymore. That would be the rat's house. The rats, the rats live here now. There's a little yeah. cage in the corner where you're allowed to stay. Yeah, I'd read somewhere that uh, they used about 200 rats in Willard. And then we're going to get into Ben, and apparently they used about 4,000. Yeah. And then they said that when they did the third one, they were going to use like 10,000. They're just going to keep up in it next time. And they never made a third one. That's awesome. I wish they had. <laughs> Pre- preemptive review for the next movie as well, I guess. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, Noah, why don't you tell us about Ben? Uh, so Ben is the direct follow-up. Um, mm. I was kind of shocked how direct it was. Yeah, yeah. Friday the seventies too. In the seventies, yeah. they don't use. I thought this was usually, just going to be like. A... Yeah, in the seventies, they didn't usually do like direct sequels like this. They just found some way to throw the name on and then say, "Oh yeah, it's a sequel." But man, this one was yeah, planned. It came out the very next year. Yeah, so yeah. so Ben the Rat and his army escape. Uh, and Ben finds and attaches himself to just the most fucking annoying child. <laughs> it's not Bob from <laughs> House by the Cemetery. Calm down. I don't know. I would put him on pretty damn close. The fucking, we'll get to it. But the fucking, the puppet song thing that he keeps doing, I'm like, if these rats <laughs> don't eat this fucking kid. <laughs> No, uh, th- this child is your fault. You keep going on and on about how you love it. Well, horror movies have their own theme songs. So finally, they give us a character in the movie that, was, that, that is writes not the a fucking theme song. It's not a theme song. Fuck! It's name. It's a song about the lead character, sung by Michael Jackson over the credits. Don't tell me that's not a theme song. <laughs> Although, so for the side note, best thing about this movie. Theme song sung by Michael Jackson. <laughs> the fuck? I had no fucking idea. And his name pops up in the credits and it's like it's at the end of the movie. Right. So when the name pops up in the credits, I'm not really paying attention. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. I have to like rewind it. <laughs> and then I'm like, I pause it with like Ben Ben's song sung by Michael Jackson on my screen. And I'm like, 
that can't be right. There's uh, so I Google it. And I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> like, what happened there? Not Why only, not only rat movie. Not only sung by Michael Jackson, but nominated for an Oscar. What? Yeah, it was nominated for best original song. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Must have been such a terrible year for music and movies. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Uh, no, Hang no. On, Once again, to... the Ben the gonna... Ben song isn't the worst song. It's the Pepe, and it's a happy day. <laughs> that song, fucking oh, man, that kid doesn't die in this movie. He doesn't even die. <laughs> let let alone eaten by rats. <laughs> yeah, it was can, uh, Ben. Can, what a, Ben can, won a he won a Golden Globe for best song. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Song in 1973, losing to The Morning After by Maureen McGovern from The Poseidon Adventure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. But, but continuing on, this, this so, child uh, in his gross puppets in his, his fucking garage. And I love puppets. This child ruined puppets for me. <laughs> Uh, he becomes friends with Ben and somehow guesses Ben's name. Well, his sister tells him that the lead rat was named Ben from the Willard. Because this literally starts at the end of Willard. Like, there's police surrounding his house and stuff. And so it's all over the papers. And his sister tells him, like, oh, yeah, did you hear about that? Apparently Ben. Ben is the name of the leader of the rats, according to this dude's diary. Oh, I think yeah. I missed that because I was yeah. so annoyed. And he's like, I love that. And he's like, that's a cool name. And so we just started calling Ben, Ben. That's a, that's a weird justification well, I, from that, but we'll roll with there's, it. There's, <laughs> no, there, there's actually a moment where he says, you're Ben, aren't you? Like he figures out that this rat is smarter than other rats and must have, must be the leader of the rats. Yeah. That's funny. So I think, I think it's, I think it is actually explained in the movie quite well where, because there's even like talk of Willard's diary and at first, the police don't want to turn it over to the press, but eventually they're just like, whatever. I mean, the fucking guy had an army of rats and the press is like, I don't believe you. So they just hand the reporter the diary. and The cop is just in frustration, just hands him the diary and walks away. And the next day, they actually tear pages out of the diary and print those in the paper. So everyone knows the names of the two head rats. Yeah. Uh, so continuing with the plot, uh, child develops friendship with Ben. Uh, ben protects child from bully and all the while at night, Ben and his army of rats are just fucking causing havoc. <laughs> like, like it's for no so real, good. for no real good damn reason. I mean, they're doing rat things. They're like, fuck it. We're going to break into this grocery store and tear this bitch up. <laughs> they're hungry. That wouldn't make sense. They're trying to get food. Uh, once again, meanwhile, for a movie with a ridiculous premise, such as a army of highly intelligent rats, the cops are like on it right at the beginning. And they're like, yep, there's an army of highly intelligent rats that we got to <laughs> figure out where they're at. Uh, and it all comes to a head so with the they decide to use, I don't know, like flamethrowers and fucking bombs to like fucking torch the fucking sewer to kill all these rats. Which is, yep. I mean, it's pretty dope. Uh, but that dumb little kid and his mom go down to the sewer to try to uh, save the rats. Uh, it's a sister. 
Oh, sister. Well, I, I I take that back. He goes down to the sewer to try to save the rats because he's a fucking obnoxious little idiot. And she goes down to save him, even though clearly she should let him burn. <laughs> That's her character flaws, her love for her brother. Yeah. It's her one her one weakness is this stupid fucking kid. <laughs> Did I mention it's a kid with a disability? Fuck him anyway. <laughs> uh, He's terrible. So I feel like I didn't enjoy this one as much as Willard. It's got some problems. Um, but I do feel like some of the rat stuff towards the end is still pretty good. I don't feel like the deaths are as good, but just the fact that there's like so many goddamn rats in this movie. Most it's most kind of, of the rat stuff in general is really good. I mean, even the stuff where they're doing non-horror movie stuff, they're like tearing up the grocery store and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's still tonally better than Willard was. You know, this it like establishes moments where it's like this is a horror movie. And then, unfortunately, it cuts to a kid what with about, fucking puppets singing a stupid fucking song. <laughs> like, what about what about when the what about when the rats cause that car accident because they sneak into that truck and just attack the driver so that he'll crash the car so they can make off with some of the food in the back? Yeah, it's fucking great. That's awesome. I like that it's like it's just an army of Templeton the Rat from Charlotte's Web. You know that um, not. A, not only were you annoyed by the character of the child, but so was everyone in the movie. <laughs> like when the cops keep having to come and talk to this kid because they're like, the rats are around here somewhere. And this kid has mentioned having a rat. That cop, the headwood, is just so fucking annoyed by this child. And he's just like, tell us where the stupid fucking rats are so I don't have to talk to you anymore because I'm not enjoying this. <laughs> he's so frustrated by that child. This, <laughs> this kid. This kid says he was attacked by rats and he's covered in rat bites. Now he fell in a rose bush. <laughs> I'm going to punch you in the face, you little piece of shit. <laughs> to, to be fair, that, that kid moment, was an asshole. The moment that when the uh, so the cop finally is like, look, do you know where there's a real rat? And the kid's like, yes, the rat named Ben. Yes. You know where the killer rat named Ben is? Yes. Where? He's over here. Okay. And they go over there, and the kid's like, here's my pet, my puppet rat. And that cop is about to beat the shit out of that kid. You can see it. And I'm just sitting there going, okay, the writers to this had kids. I get it. Because <laughs> that kid is just fucking with him, and he knows that kid is fucking with him. But everyone else seems to think that kid is being sweet and innocent. And it's like, no, that kid's clearly fucking with him. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do because you can't just it's not like even in the 70s you couldn't just like put a kid on the ground and put a chair on his chest and sit on it until he told you where the rats are <laughs> so oh I, I I enjoyed watching that cop react to that child because I've been that cop in several situations in my life where you're just like just tell me the fucking just tell me what I need to know do what you're supposed to fucking do just <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't want to. I like the rats. Shit. <laughs> God, God damn it. Fucking big headed, weird little kid. Uh, at least it's the 70s. He can go home and beat his own kid for whatever that kid put him through. Now let me sing my puppet song for you. 
<laughs> bang, bang, bang. Better end. <laughs> yeah. This this movie drops five points, right? So I'm giving it a five. Or no. Three out of ten. <laughs> Just because that little kid doesn't fucking die. If he died. Don't maybe, worry. He's maybe dying nine. soon enough. Maybe nine He's out of bad. ten. He has that bad heart. He dies soon enough. <laughs> Not on screen. No, <laughs> Noah wants to see it, to be sure. I want, I want him. Like, uh, w- <laughs> once again, we were talking about good rat movies. I want to see a bloody streak of him drug into the basement. <laughs> and all that is left is his tattered clothes. <laughs> uh, that movie was so good. Uh, or I will, or I will settle for him burning to death from flamethrowers being shot into the sewer. Yeah, I do feel. I mean, it's it's a 1972 movie, so I guess I couldn't hope for too much. But I feel like the idea of a kid that age in charge of a rat army <laughs> is a pretty exciting like uh, plot, and it did not come to fruition at all. Yeah, I was going to say, because he isn't even in charge of the rat army. He's just kind of hanging out with Ben occasionally, and yeah. then Ben's out doing raids. Yeah, Ben Ben learned his lesson. He doesn't trust humans anymore. He'll be friends with the kid, but he's not letting the kid be in charge. <laughs> he, he let that last human be in charge, and look what happened. And then you know, I, I thought the own. end of the movie was weird, too, that it kind of ends with a wounded, gross Ben showing back up, and the kid being like, Ben, you're alive. I'll nurse you back to health. <laughs> well, that was setting up the the threequel. That's what that was for. They, they obviously had a trilogy planned when they thought of this killer rat idea. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe the next movie starts with like Ben bursting through the kid's chest like alien. Just you gnawing his way through his body. I assume it's like a Halloween five thing where like a year passes while Ben recovers in the kid's room. And then he just wakes up and kills the kid one day and goes back out and starts his rampage again. (laughs) I'm on board. Unfortunately, I don't believe that sequel exists, but. Yeah. So the first movie was based on a book. Um, The rat man's notebook. Yeah. Something like that. Is that the name of it? Something like that. And uh, it did like way better than anybody was expecting it to. Like apparently it was it was a surprise hit, and that's what caused a big swing in like animal attack movies in the seventies. That's awesome. The seventies was the time frame for animal attack movies. I don't think it ever got better than that. Yeah. And then I think for Ben, from what I remember, the the actual rat won some sort of award for like animal actors and movies or something because he did such a good job. It did. Yeah. Matting a star I literally in this movie a joke just because that. the rat won an award. <laughs> I literally made a joke about that when I was posting that I was watching this on Instagram and I did not know that that was true. <laughs> so that's hilarious to me. Can I ask you guys a follow-up question? No. Do you assume that Kevin Smith is a fan of this movie and that he stole ideas from it? Because in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, when the girls want to steal diamonds, what do they do? They break in next door and let all the monkeys out of the cages so that people will be distracted by that and not pay attention to the fact that the diamonds are being stolen. Well, in this movie, when the rats want to steal some cheese from the cheese shop, what do they do? 
they invade the spa next door and scare all the ladies that are getting massages. So everyone's <laughs> running around worried about that. And then the camera just kind of fades over and we see, oh shit, they've been in there stealing the cheese too, haven't they? <laughs> but no one's talking about that, are they? Uh, so they get away with it. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> so I feel like these rats planned a distraction so they could get away with their cheese theft. Which right away, this town had it coming. If you've got a cheese shop called The Wedge right next to your European style spa, fuck you, you pretentious pricks. You deserve to get attacked by rats. I don't like you people anyway. <laughs> uh, let's see. Some of the some of the trivia, Michael Jackson's theme song or Michael Jackson's theme Ben song played during the final blah, blah, blah. Said it was one of his favorite songs. It was written for the movie by so-and-so. It was also the title track on Jackson's second solo album released just before it was? released just before his 14th birthday and became a number one pop hit. What so. the hell was wrong with people in the 70s? Man? <laughs> uh, according to studio publicity notes, Mo DeSesso, who trained the 500 rats used in Willard, trained approximately 4000 rats for the film. The press book implied that there would be another sequel featuring 10,000 rats to re- be released in 1973, but that film was never made. Uh, I don't understand why. I like the fact that he's got some kind of mathematical formulae for the amount of rats required for the sequel. We get to, we get to like Willard 10 and he's like 7.6 billion rats. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wonder if it's based on some sort of calculus. There must be. (laughs) Well, 4,000 rats is scary. 10,000 would be even scarier. <laughs> Just that simple. Uh, yeah. According to a September 1972 Los Angeles Times news item, the rat playing Ben won a Patsy Award, which honors animal performers. See? So you're watching awesome. the Patsy Award winner, Ben. Uh, <laughs> Donnie Osmond was offered to, to record the theme song, but he had to turn it down because he didn't have time. So they get to Michael dumb Jackson. motherfucker missed out on that Michael Jackson money. Right. Yeah. And it was included on uh, Roger Ebert's most hated list for the year. Yeah. Most he's hated. A, he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's weird. Roger Ebert also said Night of the Living Dead was a trash film. And whenever it became one of the most popular horror movies in history, mm. he they somebody asked him about it and he readjusted his like rating from two stars to like two and a half stars because he's a prick. Yeah. All right. But he's right about some stuff. It's weird. I, w- I would argue very little. I watched a lot of his movie reviews over the years. And he's uh, I just have to go back. My my opinion of his taste in movies is not very high. He's not a big fan of horror movies. Um, I don't know. Do we have anything else to say about Ben? So no, I enjoyed it because I enjoyed watching a, rats run amok. Yeah, in some ways, it's a better movie than Willard, but overall, it's not a better movie than Willard. <laughs> More rat hijinks, but there's very, there's like a I don't really believe the relationship between the boy and the rat. If that's not a weird thing to say. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose no, one thing it, maybe we didn't say about the first movie is the guy who plays Willard. Bruce Davidson. Yeah, Bruce Davidson. He really puts in a good performance. Hmm. I mean, especially toward the end of the movie, I don't I don't feel like I'm impressed with him all that much in the beginning, but he's playing a kind of humdrum 
guy. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's his performance comes off that way. And you're like, Oh, he's just phoning it in. But by the end, whenever he's freaking out and screaming at people, his confrontation with the well, boss I, is so good. Seeing that character finally just unload on somebody. Yeah, you know. I agree. And I, like, I think the change in his character over the course of the movie is solid as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, then to take that and have him replaced with the kid who can't really sing in the in the second movie, it's like who it's kind of have the good they, grace to die. <laughs> it's it's mean what they did to that child actor by having him sing so much on screen when he can't <laughs> sing. It's like you you could edit it out three quarters of those songs, and they they're not yeah. plot relevant. So no. Which we should mention his sister. We haven't really talked about co-stars in this. So in Willard, Ernest Borgnan plays the boss, and he does a really good job. Yeah. I could never imagine watching a movie and not liking Ernest Borgnine in it. No. Especially, so, like, from this era, because he does that big bombastic acting that suits yeah. these types of movies. But he was a dick in this movie, and I was like, good. Kill that motherfucker. Yeah. Make him jump out the window. Yep. And then uh, in the sequel, the kid's sister is played by uh, Meredith Baxter Burney from uh, Family Ties. Oh, that's who it was. Yeah. Right. Well, she was just Meredith Baxter at the time, but I saw her name in the credits and I was like trying to figure out who she was. But she mm-hmm. looked very different to me because of being a lot younger than I'd ever seen her before. <laughs> because of her being a baby. Which, as Noah pointed out, I couldn't tell for like half the movie. I'm like, is this kid supposed to be her kid? Or what's going on? But then uh, she does name drop that it's her little brother. Yeah. It's a bit of a confusing because in both of these movies, it's like huge house, old lady, kid who's too old to be, to be really living at home. And then in th- in this second movie, they just add another kid. Like it's like, what? where are all the dads in all this discussion? And how do they have so much money? It's it's all very vague. Mm-hmm. Like we know Willard's dad is dead because he's working for. That's the other thing we never mentioned about him being a pathetic loser. Is like he's like a, a clerk at his dad's company because his dad died when Willard was too old to too young to inherit the company. So instead of getting the company, he gets a shit job in the office. <laughs> where he's the only one that has to work Saturdays. Well, and it's really funny too, because I love I love the fact that at the beginning of the movie, you're at first kind of led to believe that Willard just kind of sucks at his job and that he, you know, he's kind of slacking off and stuff. But as you it builds and builds and builds, it's kind of that thing of, oh no, he's actually really, really good at his job. They just bury him and work on purpose to keep him stressed out. Mm. Yeah, which is it's, which is fucked it's up. the classic like it's a classic like workhorse scenario. You see it all the time where it's like if the guy's good at his work, so give him fucking everything to do, overwhelm him so that it'll all get done because he's actually going to come in on Saturday and do it. If you tried to give that work to someone else, they would just go fuck you. It's Saturday. I'm not coming in. Right. And we see that like there's actually a scene in Willard where there's a Saturday. They're all at work and they're all getting ready. Like they all put in like a half day. And everyone else is going leaving and he's like helping that one girl out to her car. And then she's like, oh, well, do you just want to go get a bite to eat? And he's like, no, I'm 
going back in to finish working. The rest of you get to leave. I don't. And it's it's particularly fucked up when you put it in the context of this was his dad's company when he was a child, like his dad was the boss and he was likely going to take over the company one day. And then that never happened because just that he was too young when the company and it's also weird because it's, it's like. 70s logic of like why wouldn't his mom inherit the company and just like wouldn't that make more sense shouldn't she own the company women can only be secretaries come on doug i know it's very strange don't be making up fiction we didn't mention uh ernest borgnine chasing his secretary around his office either yeah but Worth noting, not sexual harassment because they're both down for it. So it's just, <laughs> it's just weird '70s shit. <laughs> like, is she's not complaining? She's not filing yeah. complaints there. She's she's loving every minute of it, and then she's coming back for more and like asking if she could stay late and stuff. So that's just weird '70s stuff that we're not qualified to comment on because we're not horn dogs from the '70s. <laughs> well, I mean, Ernest Borgnine obviously says he's doing her a favor. So, come on. He does come flat out and say, yeah, I just did it, like, doing her a solid, basically, is what he says. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod, or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, what did everybody watch this week? I watched a thing. Uh, first I watched Don't Look Up, which I uh, regret. Okay. I regret watching that. <laughs> Just makes you angry at humanity. Yeah, it's supposed to be funny, and it's not. It's just depressing because it's it's really, really, really real. And I'll be honest, I don't I don't think it was terribly written, but a lot of the jokes don't land right. There's one joke in the entire movie that is just stupidly fucking funny, <laughs> and and it doesn't happen until like the post credit scene of the movie. Basically, or the, or the last scene, but but it's a good setup. It's it's a good setup in the middle of the movie for a payoff at the very end. But yeah, yeah, I don't think I'm watching that one. I'm mad enough at humanity as it is. Yeah, I, I yeah. will say the the one thing that they did well is you kind of expect that movie, like most movies, just to be a uh, a panning of. Uh, a very specific group of people. And I think we all know who we're talking about. Trump supporters. <laughs> <laughs> but the movie actually does a good job of uh, making you feel like shit about everybody by the end of it. So you're like, oh, yeah, everybody's garbage. Because kind of the plot of the movie is these two scientists find a comet that's hurtling toward Earth and we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that humanity actually has stuff in place already. We have a plan to shoot a bunch of rockets loaded with nuclear payloads to divert its orbit. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, through for various reasons, uh, well, I guess that's spoilers. But what is not a spoiler is the main scientist who starts off as a champion of science and reason and all that kind of stuff 
immediately gets sucked into uh, celebrity and becoming a a mouthpiece for stuff that is not legitimate science, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's kind of seduced by it all and and in some ways just kind of tricked. But but still, but that's I, I feel like it's the worst thing because it's that it's kind of the idea of, you know, there there aren't any heroes <laughs> like it's just going to be bad for everybody all the time because the few people who would save us all are just going to get to the point where they're going to save us. And somebody's going to go, hey, I'll give you 11 billion dollars and they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, fuck that. But yeah, depressing. Good stuff. Yep. If you like if if you like masturbating to Requiem for a Dream, this is probably your type of movie. It's a very specific. That is that is my reference always to people who enjoy watching fucking movies that just destroy your soul. I I do not understand the appetite for that. I want to like laugh. It's okay if a movie's like a little bit sad. Sad's okay, but I don't want to walk out of a movie theater going, oh, yeah, maybe I should just go home and fucking blow my brains out. Hmm. Sounds like you had a good week. Yeah. Uh, And then I watched a few episodes of uh, The Dark Side of the 90s. Oh, yeah. I watched that. Which is all right. Although although a few of the stories they tell, you're like, oh, this is sadder than I thought it was. (laughs) Like, which one? Well, like the one about... uh, um, Viper oh, about yeah. Johnny Depp's bar mm-hmm. is it weird that I went my entire life and I never realized that Johnny Depp owned that bar yeah this is a, a little, little weird because I remember that being a, a thing when River Phoenix died was yeah. that he was in front of he was in front of Johnny Depp's bar and then he was hanging out with Johnny Depp that night yeah, I was never into celebrity gossip, so I guess I never paid attention to that kind of stuff, which which actually made that episode all that more interesting because it kind of goes into paparazzi and the idea of celebrity and mm-hmm. how they're kind of founded and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, you know what? This is something that I know absolutely nothing about because I don't care about any of that shit. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Oh, oh, you're an actor. I don't give a fuck. Fuck you. <laughs> some dude go make another movie asshole Jesus uh, yeah but it was it was good I kind I liked it uh, there's an episode that's basically about the rise of Fox which was weird mm-hmm. because it completely ignores their awful political agenda stuff because it's only talking about when they were the channel that did nothing but like teen dramas <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's very specific. Fox, not Fox News. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's, it's, I don't know. It was it was interesting. It was interesting too because every time like they would get near that subject, somebody would kind of like give a knowing look into the camera, and they would just move on. <laughs> it's funny how no one addresses the fact that at one point in time, Fox was like the sort of push the envelope racy channel back when something like Married with Children was considered pushing the envelope and Simpsons was at one point. <laughs> and, and it's yeah. weird that they be, they became the ultra conservative guys where it's like, that's strange, but all right. Mm-hmm. I was going to say in the episode of Viper, I think the thing that uh, I spent the most time in that episode doing was deciding which one of the lead singer of Counting Crows looks is the most douchey. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> that dude, That's... that dude is douche from the top of his head to the tip of his toe in every fucking in every photo. It's a new act of douchery. And I'm sure he's a great guy. And in the interview, it sounds like he's had a hard life and all that kind of stuff. And, and more power to him. I'm sure as a person, he's fine. But dude, shave those fucking mutton chops off the side of your fucking face, you goddamn <laughs> asshole. But he wants to be a Wolverine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Me and Char were joking about it the whole time. I was like, ooh, look, a new look, dreadlocks. Oh, now he's just got the dreadlocks on the top of the head. <laughs> <laughs> always picking on douchebags oh my god have you caught up with the latest season of dark side of the ring yet uh i don't know if it's streaming anywhere that i've got it yet um might be up on their youtube page but don't know it was a pretty good season so i was just curious you have to look. And then the last episode I just finished was the, the Beanie Baby one. <laughs> Which is insane. Well, you know what the fucked up thing is? I was watching that and I was telling Char that I knew people. Well, that so were, did I. They were into it. So I, I knew a fan. My, my best friend, uh, whenever I was in like grade school and stuff. So his family were pretty broke. Like they just they didn't have a lot of money. And whenever the McDonald's did that fucking beanie baby shit, they were just going to McDonald's fucking constantly buying these goddamn worthless ass Happy Meals to get these beanie babies because they were just convinced they were going to be worth money. (laughs) The the scam of getting people to put their money into something that has no inherent value by tricking them into thinking that if enough people do it, you'll just make money. And then <laughs> Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. It, you're, that's, that's where I was headed with this. Like everybody put your money into this and then it'll, you're, you'll make a ton of money off of it. And then because people put their money into it, it becomes worth something. And then the people at the top bail and the people at the bottom all go, shit, now what do I do with this? And they're like, I don't know. It's not our problem anymore. <laughs> Did that's, you guys? That's been a, a scam that's been around forever, and it's just repeating itself constantly with every new thing. Did you guys watch the uh, post-COVID special from South Park? No. No. So, you know, it goes into the future when they're all old. And one of the jokes is that uh, Butters has been locked up in an insane asylum. And the reason why he's locked up in an insane asylum is because he has this incredible gift for convincing people to invest in NFTs. (laughs) (laughs) There's a great line where like a bunch of people are screaming out of each other and they're like, he's made a ton of money off NFTs. And somebody else goes, no, he's made a ton of money convincing other people to invest in NFTs. (laughs) accurate <laughs> just plain accurate hmm. yeah it's really yeah the, the beanie babies episode was interesting because every time they would say like <clears throat> well he came up with this idea that some designs would go in the vault or whatever disney and uh i'm just sitting there just like this dude is a fucking genius like beanie babies are stupid but some of the just like the ideas they had of like, well, these are going in the vault or whatever, and people would just buy them like crazy. I was like, good on you, I guess. People are stupid enough to buy that shit. I guess go for it. But 
It was ridiculous. It's hard to get mad at people for making money off something if other people are buying it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just frustrating that people who go the, the people who go into these things, the ones that make the most money are the ones that go into it knowing it's a scam. And then there's a bunch of people who go into it not knowing it's a scam who make money. And then there's a whole bunch more people who go into it not knowing it's a scam that gets screwed. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's so frustrating. Because I was going to say, I, I think the moment I got the angriest in the Beanie Babies episode was at one point they say that year the company made $1 billion. Mm-hmm. And he made... $750 million, which mm-hmm. means his pay was three quarters of the entire intake of funds <laughs> for the company, which is just such an yep. assholey predatory. Cause clearly he's got, he's got factories and workers. And all this. <laughs> that means nobody else is making shit. God. I just don't know yeah. why. Like if something like that happened to me, I'd be like, "All right, I just made seven hundred million dollars. I'll never have to do anything for the rest of my life." So uh, uh, I'm closing down the shop. I'm done. I'm just gonna. I'm just See, gonna go home, enjoy my seven hundred million. We we reward people for being assholes, though. So the kind of asshole who has seven hundred million dollars in the bank and goes, "I'm gonna still go to work every day because I want to get that up to a little higher number." That's the kind of asshole that we reward in our society. It's not good. No. Anyways. Anything else, Noah? <laughs> nope. Besides that, I've no, just piss us off. Sh- anything else? Nope. I'm, besides <laughs> that, I just watched a shit ton of Star Trek: The Next Generation. I think yeah. I'm closing in on season five. Finally, just man, right. that show had a lot of fucking episodes, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's back when it was like what twenty four a season, if not more. Oh my god! Yeah. So, yeah, you're over, you're over a hundred episodes in so far. Would you watch over halfway done? Would you watch Doug? Uh, I don't have a lot. I did go see Spider Man again. Yeah, um, I need to go do that. Yeah, well, at least you still can. Your theaters didn't get closed today. <laughs> nope. Anyways, um, I will say this, man. I I enjoyed it more on my second viewing than I did on my first viewing. Mm-hmm. Um. Like my immediate thought was, okay, so all the excitement's gone, right? All the like, oh my God, the Spider-Man's going to show up. Oh my God, Doc Ock's going to show up. All that's gone, right? And now you're just watching the movie and you're invested in it. And I found like the, it was a much more emotional movie when all that was taken away. And you're just like, you know, when you know what's coming. And so like all the, like the Aunt May death, that moment where, you know, Peter says with great power and then Peter finishes with great responsibility. I'm like, oh, that hit so hard the second time watching it. Whereas I think I was still just caught up in the excitement of that fight between uh, Tom Holland and Green Goblin. And the, the first time I watched it that I didn't really let the emotional element sink in. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely it's definitely the kind of movie that holds up. We'll see. I'm going to probably watch it 100 more times and I'll tell you each time whether I still like it or not. <laughs> but uh, it's yeah, like everything that I said positive about it is still true, but also I think the emotional stuff is even better than I was giving credit for the first time. So nice. Uh, yeah, a friend of mine still hasn't seen it, so I need to uh, get him to go to the theater so we can watch it. Yeah, and I, I saw it in IMAX the second time as well, just because of the way the timing worked out, and 
it's uh it looked really cool on the, on the big huge screen and everything it was like it was pretty cool it's funny because i almost went and saw it in 3d and then it just occurred to me like an hour and a half before i was supposed to go i'm like if i go to the 3d show do 3d glasses fog up if you're wearing a mask the way sunglasses do <laughs> and i think they probably do so i'm like oh jesus can't do that so then i'm like okay what's the other show I'm like imax it is save my three dollars from the uh 3d and put it onto imax instead i didn't even realize they still release stuff in 3d yeah spider-man here i could see it in like 2d 2d imax or 3d but i couldn't see it in 3d imax hmm. i don't know about the uh, so we have our other theater chain which doesn't have imax they have their own version of it mm-hmm. i don't know if they had it in 3d or not but Interesting. It's um, anyways, the only other thing I watched that was new is uh, I, I accidentally spent my entire New Year's Day laying in bed watching Cobra Kai season four. Nice. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. It's good. Um, it's it's quite good. It is um, surprising that they've taken this premise and stretched it out four seasons and I'm still entertained <laughs> and they do like they do a shockingly good job of so the they introduce a new character who's younger and he has conflict with the younger LaRusso kid who's been kind of a side character and all this oh, stuff oh really he gets in on it now and it's shockingly like I'm like oh that's stupid and then it's happening and I'm like it's pretty good though and then all of a sudden that other that new character starts playing into storylines and themes with our known characters and you're like oh shit they're doing a really good job of this <laughs> it's the quality writers where you're like like he brought he was brought in as a foe for this younger LaRusso and you've got this st- this conflict going on but then you can see how him getting involved is affecting without spoiling it it's affecting other characters that we've known since the beginning and affecting the way they view things yeah i the spoiler free the only thing i was disappointed with in this season was that a bunch of the characters it just it's the same mistakes if that makes sense you know this this show is supposed to kind of be about growing and learning and all that kind of stuff, but they just keep doing the same things over and over and over and over and over and over. Is, and you want to be like, there is some Jesus that. Christ. Specifically the two girls, the, uh, I don't, I don't know anybody's name. Cause I watch these shows all in one sitting, <laughs> but, uh, the, the older girls, whoever the, the one that's in Cobra Kai and then Daniel's daughter, they, uh, that relationship doesn't seem to grow at all. They just seem to keep hating each other and they find new and improved ways to like pick on each other and then get into a fight. Um, but it's also kind of fun to watch. At one point, one glitter bombs the other in this season. Minor spoiler alert. It's, it's done in a fun way, so I don't mind. And yeah, I was surprised how much I enjoyed the having Terry Silver in the show because he's a big part of it now. Obviously, we saw that coming from the end of last season. Um, and it's surprisingly well done i'm glad they renewed it for one more season because they were talking about this possibly being the last season and if it fucking ended like it did i would have been so fucking mad yeah yeah, yeah. i think they knew when they were making this ending that they had another season coming so it seems like i I had heard that they renewed it for seasons four and five like at the same time okay 
but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I would be super pissed if this was the end of the show. I would be super angry if this was the end of the show and uh, it wasn't coming back. But knowing that it is coming back, I'm fine with the way it ended. Because it seems like I heard that they had like a five season plan. And then after that, they would have to start considering if they're ending it or if they're coming up with new uh, new ideas. Okay. I don't so know. We'll see. My, my prediction for uh, season five, without naming characters or anything, I my guess is they introduce a doubles tournament. A doubles tournament? Yeah. Does that exist in karate? I don't know. But it sure <laughs> seems like the kind of bullshit they would pull. Yeah, I can see it. But yeah, get on get on that shit, Brian. It was good. I know. I just haven't had yeah. time. Like, because Amanda wants to watch it, and so I can't uh, can't watch it without her. Then I, I felt I, then I worked like five nights last week. So I was gonna say I f- it was tighter as far as uh, storytelling. I feel like because because some of the other seasons have suffered from this. Uh, yeah, okay, we've been talking for too long. We need a karate fight. <laughs> <laughs> which which is i mean don't get don't get me wrong karate fights are great but it, whenever you start like coming up with excuses to have karate fights instead of earning them it gets weird and i thought this season they kind of did it better where all the fights like have a reason and they're resolved I agree with relatively you. quickly yeah I, I agree with you they also do a good job of continuing to recognize the utter ridiculousness of everything that's going on in their show, which is really my, one of the key strengths to the show. That's one of my favorite parts. And I was worried There's about a that. point in this. I was worried about that since, uh, you know, Daniel's wife always seemed to be the one who was like, this is fucking not not so. But then last season, she started to get involved in the conflict and like, you know. Uh, what's yeah. his face? Uh, uh, the bad Cobra Kai Grease. guy, Crease. Uh, once he started like getting involved and started messing with her, I was like, oh, well, now she's gonna be like, oh, now I see why everything's going on, and we weren't gonna have that sort of uh, uh, that sort of view anymore of this shit's kind of dumb and ridiculous. Actually, actually, it's. So they continue on with that stuff in this mm. season, obviously. Yeah. And I think you'll be very pleased with it all. <laughs> when put it this way, Brian, you remember last season, they set it up that this whole season was going to be built up to the next year's tournament, right? Mm, that's not a spoiler. That's what they. Yes. No. But you know what that means? More meetings with the board of directors. <laughs> Good Lord. And that's that group of people are my favorite group of people in this show. They're a small part of it. But every time that group gets together and gets into those very, very serious discussions about a children's karate tournament, (laughs) I laugh so hard. And there's there's a couple of really, really good moments involving those people in this year. This, This will change everything. (laughs) <laughs> there's a there's a moment where that one character like looks into the camera deadpan serious and he goes this is our legacy and i'm like fucking right it is it's amazing <laughs> and also i will give you one minor spoiler this will be something you can watch for in the show and see if you pick up on the subtleties but 
so when we meet Terry Silver, he's more like laid back and he's not really interested in karate anymore. And he gets dragged back into it by crease. But he wears his hair like just all like free flowing. And then he ties it back in a ponytail. The more serious he gets about his karate. <laughs> Jesus. And it's such a cheesy thing. And it's like, if it was another show, I might think that they were trying to use that as like symbolism. But in this show, I feel like they know that they're making fun of themselves. <laughs> it's pretty fun. <laughs> I mean, this isn't spoilery, but I think my favorite line of his is from like one of the first scenes we see him. And he says, I spent an entire summer torturing a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, you know, right. Okay. You guys know what you're talking about. Okay. Oh, it's pretty silly. Telling you, I feel like the only place we have left to go is Hillary Swank's got to show up. Did somehow bring old, uh, iron sides in. (laughs) It's just gonna happen. I'm telling you, karate dog. It's got to be karate dog showing up. I'm not saying he does or he doesn't, because that'd be a spoiler. But <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> Jackie Jackie Chan walks on screen, and somebody just goes, "No, <laughs> no, bad." I was more gonna say uh, Jaden Smith, but sure. Hey guys, they're like, "No, you're not. You're not part of this. Get out of here." Oh, just walks away. The problem is, if it was Jaden Smith, his dad would never allow that to happen, and he would just take over the show. <laughs> well, because if you guys watch, um, the Will Smith is a producer on this show, like yeah. some high-level producer, which means he owns some of the rights, right? Yeah, yeah, some with his production company, which is why he got the rights in the first place to do that remake for his kid. Yeah, I think he just bought the rights to a movie so that his kid could be in it. Because his kid just wanted to. I think yeah. that's the whole story. I don't think there's anything more to it. He's just nope. that rich that he can yep. just do that. It's <laughs> like, we could do this. I'm like, all right. Sure, I'm, gl- why not? I'm glad that his kid's becoming more and more just like a male Paris Hilton and, and less of an actor. <laughs> so you say Paris Hilton. He actually does do a lot of stuff for like uh, charity and homeless people and stuff. So. Lots, lots of rush douchebags do that. Yeah, but I'm just saying. Could be worse. He could actually be like Paris Hilton and just be a complete waste of space. You mean like a vacuous idiot that wears a Batman dress to prom? <laughs> Come on. You wish you could have wore a Batman dress to prom? No. No. I do not. <laughs> did you watch anything else, Doug? Um, well, I don't know what our strategy is for discussing Book of Boba Fett, but I'm assuming we all watch it. Yeah. Yep, I'll probably be end of show. I don't feel like there's a ton of stuff to spoil in it, but yeah, uh, maybe just to play it safe. That's how we always do it. As Amanda would say, this is the way. Um, so, we, did she come up with that all on her own, or did she steal that from somewhere? No, I said Mando. Oh, Mando! They said Amanda, and I'm like, well, don't give her credit for that. <laughs> nope, I said Mando. All right. Um. Well. Tradition in my house, we just watch movies all day on New Year's Day, and I had to work. So we did it on Sunday instead. So uh, we, uh, I, re- I rewatched Amanda watched for the first time Uncut Gems. Uh, that okay. movie will give you anxiety the entire time you're watching it. 
<laughs> even when even when really nothing is going on, just because Adam Sandler's character is so just like will not sit still for the entire movie. Well, and it it proves my argument that God damn it, Adam Sandler is a good actor. I just don't oh, yeah. get why he doesn't do stuff like that more often. Um, I'm assuming it's because he gets paid a billion dollars to make shitty Netflix movies. Yeah. Yeah, because. he gets tons of money to go on vacation with his friends and just yep. go, yeah, all right. It's purposefully said that he uh, he will come up with movie ideas set in a luxurious location just as an excuse for him and his family and friends to go on vacation and make a, make a shitty movie. So good for him, I guess. Not good for people who don't want to watch it. But um, yeah, I was still... Really good. Really enjoyed it. Um, if you haven't watched it yet, it's on Netflix in the United States, so you should watch it. Uh, we followed that up with Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Either of you watch this? I don't know what that is. Uh, so it's Ethan Hawke. He plays a priest. And I guess he's a reverend. He's not, he's not Catholic. Um... But he sort of is keeping a journal. He's decided I'm going to keep a journal for a year just to kind of see what see what comes of it. And then his plan is to destroy it by the end of the year. But we just follow along with him where he is just going through some stuff. Uh, a parishioner of his church, she asked him if he could stop by her house to talk to her husband. Her husband is like a uh, environmental activist. So he's having some problems because she's pregnant. He's having problems like, why are we bringing children to this world? Because the world's terrible. And so he wants her to get an abortion. So she asked him to come and talk to him or whatever. And as he's getting closer to this couple, things start getting crazy. And he starts getting pulled into uh, this environmental activist stuff. And he starts questioning, like, religion more and more and just some crazy shit happens. And uh, by the end of it, you're like, what the fuck? And then the movie just kind of ends. So uh, Paul Schrader has famously wrote uh, uh, Taxi Driver. And this is has been compared as almost like a like a uh, brother movie to that where you see okay. Ethan's Hawks character kind of start losing it more and more and just starting to go crazy. But you see it from hit the side of him being higher up in a, re- in a religious organization. So uh, I thought it was quite interesting. It was really good, but it actually sounds really interesting. Yeah. They could see some people if they watched it because it is a slow burn. Things unfold as they do because it's a movie that's like two hours long. So I could see people were like, yeah, I just I wasn't into it, but it, I thought it played out really well. It was really interesting and uh, definitely worth checking out. Don't be looking for Taxi Driver. I don't think it's as well made as Taxi Driver because obviously Scorsese didn't no. direct this one, but. It's good. It's a nice little character study. Uh, we followed that up with a movie starring Devin Sawa and Bruce Campbell called Black Friday. So okay. it's, 
employees of a toy store that have to work on Thanksgiving night. And something right. happens where all the customers get it, get infected, become like zombie infected. And then they have to. Okay, I've heard about this. Yeah. Yeah, they have to fight them throughout this toy store to stay alive. It's a good concept. It's pretty fun. Uh, but I feel like it just, the budget's so low that it just doesn't meet uh, your expectations for it. Oh, it's, I mean, it's not terrible. Like, if, if somebody was interested in watching, I'd be like, yeah, definitely watch it. But it's just, like, I'm expecting, like, for some reason, the opening montage of Krampus, when it's singing and it's in slow-mo and the Black Friday shoppers are going nuts or whatever. Yeah. Like, fighting each other. I'm just waiting for shit like that to happen. And it doesn't really happen. So, I don't know. just feel like there was some more stuff they could have mined out of this, but they just they didn't really go for it. But Bruce Campbell's good as always. I, just, I like that Bruce Campbell's dressed up as the old guy now. Yeah, right? Is that a white mustache he's wearing? Yeah, gray hair, gray mustache. Wearing a cardigan and a bow tie. Yeah, he's like the uh, the manager of the toy store. So he's worried when people start, like, you know, uh, biting other people and stuff. He's worried about, like, okay, well, we're kicking customers out on Black Friday. That's not good. We need to, like, clean all this stuff up and maybe we can reopen and get more customers back in the store. And they're looking at him like, are you fucking serious? So that's funny. It's interesting. It's It's worth a watch. Um, just don't expect like major things out of it. Whenever there is practical effects on screen, it looks really good because it's Alex Kurtzman. Yeah. Uh, but anytime they try to augment stuff with like CGI, it, it just doesn't look super great. It's not quite Asylum or Sci-Fi Channel level, but it still just doesn't really work. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing we watched was uh, the M. Night Shyamalan movie Old which okay. ended up working way better than I thought it would oh that's good to hear yeah yeah it's I, not bad right I was surprised because I'm just like because he, he kind of is hit or miss after uh, well after Earth and all that stuff like all from that point it's just like uh oh but then I've enjoyed stuff <laughs> like uh, I enjoyed stuff like Split, and I thought uh, the visit was pretty good. Was not a fan of Glass, and so I'm just kind of like, ah, oh, fuck. Like I don't know. And the idea of well, you go to this uh, solitary beach and people start aging rapidly. I'm like, okay, well that could be interesting. I won't ever say that in my Shyamalan doesn't have interesting ideas because there are. Some things that he just comes up with that you're like, oh, fuck, it is a good idea. And this one, I was just worried. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if if that idea is going to sustain an entire movie, but it actually does end up working, which is crazy. So there's this family. They're on vacation. The hotel is like, oh, there's this great beach nearby. Like, we'll have someone drive you over. And once they get there, 
after after a while, they're like start noticing weird things, and then they start noticing uh, their kids are getting older. Like you don't really notice it in the adults so much because like if you jump like five years on an adult, like you don't really, you know, it's not really noticeable. But if you put like an 11 year old there and suddenly advance them like five years, like that's real noticeable. And so it just plays out really interesting and ends up definitely not being what you think it's going to be by the end. So I thought it was really good. How about them fucked up bits? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think of what you're talking about, but that's a big duh. Yeah, there's a giant fucked up bit that you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. So. I was yeah. going to say, whenever they pick up that blanket and all the the ashes mm-hmm. and bones come out, you're like. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Spoiler. Spoilers. You don't even know why. Don't even know why. But yeah, I thought it was it was really good. So you uh if you haven't seen it, I think I would definitely recommend it. Now, when whenever the stuff at the end comes about, I can see people be like, "Yeah, I didn't really enjoy like sort of the wrap up." I'd be like, "Okay, I get it." But I feel like the mystery is definitely worth giving it a watch. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, all right, Noah, what are we doing next week? I knew you would ask me this question, <laughs> which is why I am totally prepared to pick the very first thing I put my eyes on the list, which is going to be... <laughs> Grotesque and Hell Knight. All right. All right. I really. Jesus I, 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 no, I really did look at that list for like two hours earlier and I was like, God, I have no fucking idea what you're saying. <laughs> See, Hell Knight, I don't know. I don't know what grotesque is. So, mm. yeah, should be fun. I feel like Linda Blair, maybe. Am I off base by saying that? Well, she's on Hell Knight. Is she also on grotesque? I think maybe. I think that's might be why they're paired together. All right. Hey, if I just pick two Linda Blair movies, doing good. <laughs> That'd be some good luck, eh? <laughs> Maybe I should try just this random thing more often. Yeah, we may have to expand the list again soon. Yeah, there's a couple of movies I want to see that I don't anticipate liking, so I'll start putting them on the list so that you guys can have to watch them with me. <laughs> oh, thanks. Grotesque. A gang of crazed punks break into a family vacation home in the mountain and slaughter the entire family except for one daughter who gets away. Starring Linda Blair. Oh, well, there we go. I think that's been on the list ever since, like, I don't know, 102 years ago or whatever when we did a Linda Blair episode, and I was like, just learning that she had the second half of her career that I didn't know about until then. Yeah, and then we put a bunch of other movies like in the maybe section. Well, I mean, the, the, the first half of her career was one movie. <laughs> it's a little yeah, lopsided. It's a little lopsided that the second half of her career is her entire career. <laughs> yeah, but from a box office perspective, it's probably accurate. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> That's hard to argue against. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we all three watched The Book of Boba Fett. How did we feel about this episode? 
the scene opens <laughs> on the two sons of Tatooine. Uh, that's so funny. I I would never even have thought to check that. And whoever did, bless their soul, <laughs> because I can't believe they actually did that shot for fucking shot. Oh, yeah. I'm sure old Johnny Five saw it. He's like, this is how we need to do it. In the interest of fairness, mm-hmm. that whole story of how Boba Fett got out of this Carlac pit is the most predictable thing ever. Everyone's like, how could he have survived? And it's like, oh, he just woke up in there and then climbed out right away. <laughs> Everyone should have known that right away. Like, it's <laughs> it's weird that it, people acted like we couldn't figure it out. And then when it happens, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what would happen. Totally. It's very strange. So the, there's really the only one possible story to tell. And obviously a guy climbing out of the sand involves, you know, a hand shooting out of the sand and all that other stuff. Don't take the fun out of it, Doug. For those that may not even uh, know what we're talking about, the, uh, when Pat Oswalt was on Parks and Rec, he did this whole filibuster speech about how uh, to bring back Boba Fett in the... Uh, in the show, when they flash back on how he escaped from the Sarlacc pit, it's basically shot for shot. And someone put it side by side in a video. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I, I kind of like what they're doing with this version of Boba Fett, where he's kind of this, uh, I don't know, honorable but ruthless guy. Mm hmm. I mean, ty- tyrant it's isn't illogical. exactly the right word, but definitely authoritarian. It's kind of a logical extension of being a bounty hunter, right? It's like you go from, I'm just whatever, I'm willing to do whatever, but it's just my job. I'm not really, he's not trying to hurt people. He's not trying to kill people. He's just trying to do his job and catch whoever and just doesn't really give a shit who he's being sent out to catch take that and logically trace it to now he's decided to become this crime lord in Tatooine and he's yeah I don't he's he's not out there with the intent of trying to hurt anyone or he d- doesn't want to be brutal but everyone's got to know their role and do their work and just pay their proper respects and their proper dues just the way you're supposed to and everybody just plays along everyone can just be get along nicely and he, there doesn't need to be any violence or anything like that it makes total sense to me well, I like the fact that kind of following in the footsteps of Mandalorian and uh, John Favre's clear uh, horniness for samurai movies, the <laughs> fact that they're referring to him as like Daimo and stuff, and it's clearly uh, feudal lords is what they're kind of working all these crime bosses out to be, mm-hmm. yep. which which will be interesting. It'll be interesting watching that play out. One of the videos I watched about this show actually pointed out there's a lot of weird Egyptian influence in it too. Something about the uh, story of Moses figures into some of the aspects of the first episode. And then uh, they talked about like when Boba and uh, Rennick are walking around the city and she tells him like they should have had the uh, Gamorrean guards like carry him on like a throne and he's like, no, no, I'm a man of the people. Then they uh, 
talked about how that was a big thing in Egypt, how the pharaohs would be carried through the streets or whatever. And there was something else that like weirdly tied into like Egyptian stuff that they're kind of doing. So should be interested to see how that carries throughout the season. Yeah. And then we get the, uh, the cool flashbacks of how he was kind of abducted by the Tuscan Raiders. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming it's going to be the slow story of how, they trained him to be an even better warrior. <laughs> yeah, something, something to that effect. Yeah, he earned their respect, and then they trained him. And yeah, we got to see him fight a uh, four-armed like centaur-looking thing. Yeah, I know the That's name fun. of that thing, and I can't remember what it is. It was funny because when like the uh, I don't know what they fucking are the guards or whatever that have. Like the red shields and the electric uh, sticks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amanda's like, oh, they look like Mortal Kombat characters because they had like those face masks on. And she's like, they worked face masks like into their costumes. That's funny. And then, uh, but she's specifically mentioned that they look like Mortal Kombat characters. And then like not even 15 minutes later, the four-armed, <laughs> the four-armed monster comes out of the sand. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, it is Mortal Kombat. Finish really point when you say it like that. My only complaint, too much parkour. I enjoyed the parkour. I don't know. I, it. Hopefully there's not going to be parkour in every episode because it got a little bit non-Star Wars-y when that was happening, but I enjoyed it. It was a fun little chase through the town. Yeah, I do find it interesting that he's, because uh, he's using one of those tanks to like heal yeah, himself. He's he's sleeping in a Bakta tank. Yeah. 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 He's still having problems for being... Uh, I don't want to say digested because I think the thing I saw pointed out that he may have been like severely burned because he used a flamethrower to escape and it may have like heated up his armor or whatever because he had like burns all over his body. Yeah. Either way, he sleeps in that to like heal himself and then he has dreams and he comments at some point that the dreams have come back. And so we get a lot of flashbacks to stuff that happened in between the last time we saw him. And now, so I feel like it's kind of fun to get flashbacks. This one specifically is the, uh, well, how the fuck did he get out of the Sarlacc pit? And what happened after? So should be interesting to see if there's any fun adventures in between then and now. I mean, and they've already set up some kind of villain in this mayor person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, quote fingers villain, I guess. I think this is going to be another show yeah. where everything's pretty gray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's crime lords fighting over territory at some point. It's like, well, the hero is just the one that looks cool in his costume, really, at that point. It's not, it's not much del- else to it. Yeah. And then we also watch the uh, Legacy of Boba Fett documentary that's on Disney+. Plus. Oh, yeah. That's I didn't pretty realize good. that many people I... had been in the suit at different points. Yeah. I watched that a while ago, so I didn't rewatch it this week. But Yeah, I remember when the trailer came out. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to watch that, and then forgot about it. And then we watched the episode, and I saw in the recommends that that was up there. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, let's watch that right now. So that was a lot of fun. Damn. I'd always wondered about the, the spur sound whenever he walked, and I was like, I'm assuming that's just supposed to be his armor jingling or something, because he doesn't have spurs on his feet. Technically, you're right, but 
But but apparently <laughs> no. It's just a fully sound of sperms. Yeah. yeah. I just took it as cool sound effect. I didn't put much more thought into it than that. Well, I like the fact that it's somebody made an offhand joke of he should he should have spurs, and so the Foley guy was like, "Okay, <laughs> ching ching ching." Everybody's like, "Damn it!" Now it's great. Can't take that out. That's the problem with letting people have ideas. You never know when they're gonna have a good one. Ah, <laughs> oh, what do we let him have good ideas for? And of course, there was the obligatory uh, guy showing off his ostentatious wealth of Star Wars toys. <laughs> He's got two of those Boba Fett's that fire rockets out of the rocket pack. Man, of I want one of those so bad. <laughs> yeah, two, two of those ones that go for hundreds of thousands of dollars at auction. Yeah. <sighs> Um, we did get to see the uh, the Gamorrean guards actually fighting, which was kind of rad. It's fun. For the most part, all he ever show is them just standing in doorways and stuff. But the question is, is is that going to bite him in the ass eventually? What do you guys think? Oh, for sparing them? Yeah. Because it can, it can only do one of two things. It, it's either going to pay off over and over again where they keep saving him. Or eventually they're going to, like, stab him in the back. Yeah. Or they could just be background characters that provide muscle whenever there's a fight. I don't know. I kept saying that for things in The Mandalorian, and then they all ended up coming back over and over again. <laughs> Every single one of them came back. Yeah. That's a solid point. I can't counter that. It, it'll probably play out in that typical way where it looks like they've they've turned their back on them. And he's in trouble, but then at the last minute they come in and save him. So it'll be like, oh, I knew I was right. <laughs> did you did you understand sure. a word of that? <laughs> what? We need we need a protocol droid. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, was I cutting out? What are you talking about? That makes yeah. sense. This is the best is the best line of the whole thing. <laughs> sort of the first lines of the show. <laughs> Did you guys notice that robot that was like letting people in? This the same robot that was torturing other robots on in Jabba's palace. Was that right? Was it the one where it's got the Gronk groid upside down and it brings the thing down to burn his feet? He's the robot yeah, that's, on the, the same that's on the lever, like pulling it back and forth. That's great. Uh, I don't know. Anything else? I don't, so, know. I don't was, think there was, was like really good. Yeah, there wasn't like a ton of stuff to talk about. It was just exciting to oh. finally get into it. It was a setup episode. It was like, here's how we got yeah. here. Here's where he is. We'll let you know what the actual story is next week. Well, yeah. Boba, and one of the things is, so Boba Fett's such a great fucking character. Because I don't know how you could possibly, you know, a lot of the characters that were brought back for the sequels and stuff. People had legitimate grievances because it's like, well, you changed that character in this way that doesn't make any fucking sense. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Boba Fett's got what? Ten lines <laughs> in all yeah. of Star Wars? He can be whatever the fuck you want him to be. <laughs> I, say, I, I do think what they've done with him is somewhat logical, given the circumstances. And I think it works. 
and we'll just have to see how it plays out now. But they are really establishing the character for the first time. Other than looked cool in suit, he didn't really have much going on in the original trilogy. Looked cool in Wizards-esque uh, animated short in the Christmas special. Fair enough. <laughs> Just now, I like that Disney Plus has separated that out and put it up. They're like, well, we'll put that part up. We oh, the cartoon. That that yeah. Part, <laughs> yeah, we recognize that that part of the Christmas special happened, but we're not acknowledging the rest of it yet. We're just not there. If I worked at Disney, my sense of humor would be to edit in uh, B. Arthur singing at the beginning. <laughs> just to confuse people. If I was fucking Disney, I would put that shit out on Blu-ray and probably make like a billion dollars. I'm assuming it's in the sale contract with George Lucas that they never release it. Maybe. In its entirety, yeah. because he is so ashamed of it. I'm I'm thinking when he dies, it, all of a sudden it's out, and Disney's just like, "Oh, we forgot that we had this." And well, just like say, he never has to do. Don't say things like that, because I do my best not to wish death upon people. <laughs> well, <laughs> they just got a couple things like that, like the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. They sort of now own that through their Fox acquisition. I don't know why they don't just release it and make a lot of money because let's be fair people are buying that shit on bootleg anyway so you might as well at least have them buy your version i i think it would be hilarious if they released a specialized special edition of it where they go in with their disney money and put in great special effects through cgi (laughs) hire george lucas to do it he's not doing anything else right now that's true. Wasn't he supposed to go back to making like artistic uh, indie films or something? I don't know. I thought that's what he said he was going to do, but I'm I'm assuming he just sits on top of a pile of money, yeah. laughing at people. I don't. <laughs> He's just sitting with you know like a chair made out of money, and then somebody manufactures a chair made out of money beside him, and then he switches over to that chair made out of money. <laughs> that's it. That's just his whole day. He just does that until he gets to the other side of the room, and the next day he starts over again. This is this is my book about why movies shouldn't be changed, and this <laughs> is my other book about why I should be able to change my movies and then hide the originals from everyone forever. And you're going to buy both of them because fuck you. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.